Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Um, anyway, well, this morning we pick up on the series in Revelation. My name is Kevin. If we haven't met, love to meet you. I usually hang out out in the lobby or in the overflow. Today, uh, if you have any questions regarding this, Pastor Sam will be in there, our care pastor. Wave, Sam. So if you were, he's going to be uh, taking my class, which is at 11 o'clock, because I need to be in here. But um, if you have questions after this and a great discussion time, it's usually a good time. So, but this morning we're picking up on Revelation. Mike has explained some of the preliminary issues around this book and maybe some of the things that you took for granted or just, and we've been asking that you have an open mind. That's what we're asking as we approach this. Not that we are trying to convince you that you need to change anything about the way you believe about this book, but we want to at least create a little bit of dissidence for you to be able to examine it, look at it, and possibly in your mind go, yeah, maybe there's another way of looking at this. So we invite you into that. Um, in the intro, I just want to read for you to keep in mind some of the things that Mike said last, the last couple of weeks, and one of those is this, is that this is a revealing and apocalyptic literature where uh, what, we're, what we're experiencing is, is John, the Apostle John, for those of you, this is like your first week, the Apostle John is writing down visions that he's getting from Jesus, and, and as he's writing them down, it is the revealing of Jesus the Christ, and we are getting to read from a perspective of first century writer who's writing to seven churches so there's part part of this is letters which we're going to talk about today part of this is prophetic and part of this is apocalyptic which means there's a lot of symbols in it so with that i just want to read the last two verses of chapter one as we get into this and it says this john writes it's in quotes write therefore what you have seen so jesus is telling him to write what he has seen what is now and what will take place later the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches so this morning we are looking at one of the seven churches we're not going to look at all seven of them it would take too long and we would be in this series until next june which for some of you, you go, great, let's stay in this until next June. For those of us who are doing this, we would prefer not to stay in this until next June. If you have questions while I'm talking today, I'm gonna, uh, I'll, there'll be a couple places to pause, and you can ask questions in the room or you can text them. I think Susie's got something to look at the questions. And uh, we will do our best to kind of engage that. If I run out of time, I apologize, because um, this is the 9 o'clock hour, and I never really am sure how much content this is until I get into it and because uh, you guys talked about football for so long <laughs> who knows so first I want to ask you some introspective questions as we get into this this morning and the first is this do you have any blind spots I don't mean physical blind spots I mean those kind of blind spots that you could be about your personality, could be about how you are in relationships, could be how you go about work, could be any number of things. And if you're sitting there going, nope, no blind spots, perfect, because you have a bunch. <laughs> and if you're married, all you have to do is ask your spouse. 
I'm about to share with you one of my great blind spots in life. Um, actually, a couple. So uh, when we drive together, my wife and I, and we are looking for a particular place on a road that has a lot of signs, like there's a McDonald's, a uh, furniture store, and a whole bunch of signs, and she immediately can pick out the sign where we're going in a matter of, it's almost instantaneous. And I can't, for the life of me, see the sign. Anybody have this problem? Just me, okay. But there is this instant sense of, I'm blind, I can't see, I can't, and it, and it build, I, I start to get anxious because I can't see what she sees. Because I, for whatever reason, I'm blind to that. It's a blind spot. That's just a physical thing that I do. Here's the other thing, is I will go into our cupboard or our refrigerator and look for something. This, is, this seems to be a gender-related thing. This might be a guy thing. And I'll stare in that cupboard or our pantry looking for something very specific or a, or a refrigerator. And inevitably, I will stand there and go, it's not here. It is, I can't see it. I don't see it. And all it takes is my wife to walk over, open the door and say, it's right in front of you. So there is selective vision that goes on. And it is an ongoing thing that happens probably at least once a week. It is one of those blind spots. But I also learned something about myself during COVID. Anybody learning anything about yourselves during COVID? It was a, it, thank you, somebody did. COVID was a great teacher for me. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, and this is, this is where you can take something that is outside of your control and allow it to teach you some things about life. And I'm a pretty, most people would say I'm a pretty even-keeled person. I don't show a lot of emotion. Um, I, I, I'm, I would be boring in, in a lot of circumstances. I am somebody that, though, can be relied upon. I'm loyal. I'm steady. That kind of guy. I'm, if you've gotten to know me, hopefully that is true. If you haven't gotten to know me, that's who I am. But during COVID, what became abundantly clear is my way, my personal way of which I have coped with life in terms of emotions doesn't work during COVID. And, and so this was a blind spot to me because I thought I was doing really well. <laughs> Susie just laughed. And, and so um, I was taught when I was young, emotions are to be stuffed. They aren't to be felt deeply. Um, Boys don't cry, typical way of being raised as a boy in, in the 60s and 70s. So I get into this COVID thing, and I'm like, wow, I'm, I, feel, I feel something I haven't felt before. But I had no words for it, no way to describe it, because I never really thought about my emotions. And I was in isolation a lot, alone a lot. And uh, with that came, I, I probably need to get some help with this, because I'm, I feel like I'm on a break. And uh, so I've learned that I, I experienced a little bit of depression. So that was a good word that I learned about who I was. And then I also learned that um, through going through a group called um, Plumline, that there's a whole menu of emotions. I really only experienced one in my life. Sad and glad, two. I had two. 
Sad or glad, those were my two emotions. But there's a whole bunch of other ones. And so I started to learn what those were, which was really helpful for me. It was a complete blind spot. I had no idea that this, this part of me even existed to the degree in which I just ignored it and stuffed it. And eventually, COVID became my teacher. It exposed me. And when we get exposed, it creates this thing that we call dissonance. It creates a possibility for change. It creates the possibility for something to shift in us and move and change. And as we engage God, and as we engage a community like this, this is what we're hoping to create. A little bit of, oh, I might not have been right about that. That might not have been exactly the way it was supposed to be. Maybe there is something different to learn in this. So... The, the, the other thing that I learned this, just this last week, um, we had put out a podcast. I don't know if you get to listen to Journey Now podcast, but we, we actually put stuff on social media to get, to get feedback and also get people to actually listen to it. Um, and somebody wrote back to us. We had put on there in our conversation, I think it was Mike who said it, is that in some ways we need to unlearn the Bible. And... And he said shortly after that, create dissidence space so that you can approach it again. Well, we got a, a pretty sharp response to that that said, this is horrible. I'm going to be praying for you. And we were like, okay. Um, I wrote back, thanks for praying. Um, Hey, I'll take all the prayers I can get, whether it's meant in one way or another. And, and then the response to that is, is, for those of us who feel like we haven't learned the Bible absolutely correctly all along, we want, we want to at least create some space that we can learn it right, or at least learn it differently. So all that to say this is that as we approach this thing, this morning, and this is going to all make sense in just a minute, but we're going to talk about the church in Laodicea. And if you brought your Bibles with you, we're going to be in chapter 3. And, and some of the observations I would just ask you to make, and this is really hard, because when you start talking about blind spots, you just don't know you have them. By definition, a blind spot is something you do not see. Right? Two people get it. But there is this sense of where oftentimes we go through life. I've done this. I go through life not even realizing that I could possibly be wrong or that I have blind spots. So buckle up. Here we go. Um, trying to use some of Mike's language so y'all feel comfortable. Um, so a little bit about Laodicea. Laodicea was a city, and there is a map. There it is. You saw it last week if you were here. And you see Laodicea, it was on the coast, coast-ish, it was off the coast a little bit, but those are the seven churches that he wrote to, and it's in Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, as it says right there, so you kind of get a feel for where it is. And um, Laodicea, I'm going to give you some of the background on Laodicea, because it matters when we read the, the verse, okay? So some of the background, so if you're interested in, in how to do exegetical work, this is some of the things that you would do, you'd look in a... In a um, a commentary, a Bible dictionary, um, a bunch of different uh, ways of finding this information. Actually, today you probably just Google it and it will come up. I just got to watch your sources on that a little bit because some of those sources 
have a tendency to lean in directions that aren't very neutral. But all that to say, here we go. Um, Laodicea prided itself on three things. Three things. Financial wealth, an extensive textile industry. If you don't know what textile industry is, is that making clothes. And a popular ISOV, which was exported around the world. So they did something for the eyes, they did something in textile, and it was extremely wealthy. Another thing about it was is that the main water supply for it was six miles away. It was an aqueduct from the hot springs of, you can say that word any way you want to, because the water came from hot springs. It arrived unappetizingly lukewarm. These are important terms because to understand the church there, you got to understand a little bit of the context. So it was very wealthy. They had a textile industry. They, they, they had um, medicine for the eyes. And their water was kind of eh. And so this letter begins on chapter, in chapter 3, verses 14. And I just want you to listen to it. Listen to it, knowing the background, a little bit of the context. Um, and uh, John writes this to the angel of the church in Laodicea write this these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation I know your deeds that you are neither hot cold nor hot I wish you were either one of those so because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth you say I am rich I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I rebuke, I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this is in the typical form. These, these letters are written in a very typical form where we are introduced again to Jesus in a very particular way. And it says here that when we are introduced, he introduces himself this way to the church at Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the tr- faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And so what we see is that it's, the amen means so be it, or it is done. It is this... It's an announcement of, of who he is. And we see these as, as a replay of what was taking place a little bit in chapter 1. And then the faithful and true witness. It is the opposite of the Laodiceans. They had become self-confident. They had become uh, unaware of even the absence of Jesus within their church. And they had become non-faithful. And the ruler of God's creation, he is the origin of creation. He is the beginning. He is the end. Again, it's just... It's introducing Jesus in all that his magnificence and then him coming into this situation. And the, and the irony of this letter is at the end of the letter in, in chapter 20, he's on the outside of it and he's knocking on the door. 
So Jesus describes when he knows about the church in ways that they will understand. Isn't that just appropriate? Now, if you read the other ones, it's the same thing. You get to know the cities a little bit. You get to get to uh, see the insight that is going on and affecting the church, the environment that they find themselves in. And, and in doing so, he addresses each of the churches individually kind of in this same way. He says, this is what I know about you. This is what I know is true. And what he knows is true about the Laodicean church is not good. Apathy had set in. Complacency had set in. There is this, this whole um, idea that somehow, somewhere along the way, they came to the realization, or not the realization, or they passively moved there to a place where Jesus was no longer necessary to be a part of their church. And when you say that out loud, and I said it out loud a few times when I was driving around the car, how does a church get there? How does a church get to the point where somewhere along the line, Jesus is ushered out or excluded or pushed to the side or moved to the outside to the point where he's saying, I'm, I, I'm out here knocking. And I think that question rests, I think, a lot on affluence. This was a rich church, a very wealthy group of people. And in their wealth, they had a huge blind spot. He says in verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Including Jesus. There is a, there's a place of self-sufficiency that takes faith and squashes it because faith is no longer needed to, for God to work in our lives because we've figured out how to do everything for ourselves. This is where this church was at. And the blind spot is amazing. You keep reading that, verse 17. He says, but you do not realize, okay, thus the blind spot, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay. So you're sitting in this church, and you're, you're gathered. John had, this letter has been delivered. The book of Revelation has been delivered, and you're one of the seven churches that gets it. And he reads the first six churches. This is the last one, the seventh church, and you're sitting in anticipation. What is he going to say about us? Some he commends. Some, most of them he has something good to say about them. This is one of the few churches where he has nothing good to say to them. And so just for a minute, sit there and go, wait a minute. Verse 17 comes. He says, verse 16 is, oh, yeah, the water, we get it. We're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And the phrase, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, that it gets a lot of attention. People use that for abundance. This actual letter is um, misused many times. But so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, in other words, your faith is gone, just blah, indifference. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He doesn't say I am going to spit you out of my mouth. He doesn't say I'm a I'm going to, or I have. He says, I'm about to. So in other words, this is a 
call to repentance. This is a call to wake up. This is a call as I'm exposing your blind spot. I'm about to explain to you the problem. That's what that's about. And he says the problem is, is that you've decided you are rich, and in your richness, I am no longer necessary. And here's the contrast. Not only are, do you think you're rich, but here, if you were very wealthy during this day and you said, somebody said to you, you don't even realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked is the ultimate insult. How would you feel if somebody said that to you? In all of, in all of our wealth, in all of our, our being able to be anything but wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and yet God shines a light on that wealth and says it's, it's not what you think it is. It can't protect you. It's an illusion. I'm blowing up your bubble. I'm allowing you to see the truth. And he shines this light on it, and he says, this is who you really are. And then verse 18, he says, there's a solution. I counsel to you, buy from me gold refined in the fire. In, in other words, something that will last forever, something that, that's pure, something that is different from the temporary that you have. So you can become rich. Become rich. And white clothes to wear. One of their great claims of fame in the city of Laodicea is a black fabric. And he contrasts it with a white robe. Again, there's so much symbolism in that is the righteousness, purity, all the things. And so with that, he's, he's offering them something totally different. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve to your eyes so you can see. Again, the the... The idea here is that they don't even see what has happened. They don't get it. There is a complete blind spot. It is that moment when somebody says to you, the sign is right in front of you. You've missed it the whole time. It was here, but you missed it. It's opening the cabinet and looking for something right in front of you, but you cannot see it because you're not looking for it. And this is the invitation. He says in verse 19, those who I love, I, I rebuke and discipline. So this is, this is a letter of love. This, and doesn't feel like love, does it? It feels more like, hey, let's just pound you for a little bit until you come to your senses and realize what you've done. But no, this actually is an invitation back into relationship. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, which implies also if you read the book of Hebrews and you take a few minutes in there, what you realize real quick is those that, those that God doesn't love, he doesn't rebuke. And so if you've gone through life, this is, this is one of the great challenges of being a follower of Christ, is that he's exposing our weaknesses, he's exposing our blind spots, the things that we drift into, so that we might change, create dissidence, create this thing that goes, okay, I might have been wrong about that. I may have gone the wrong direction. I need to, and he calls it repent, turn and go the other way. I want to spend a little bit of time in this idea 
of verse 20. Just, I, I, this, this has been commandeered as a personal evangelism tool. Verse 20. And I think it paints the picture of that fine, but it's out of context of saying that God is knocking at your heart's door in, as a salvation kind of thing. This is, this is different. This is God standing on the outside of the church. This is Jesus having been, been pushed aside. And he says this, here I am. I haven't gone away. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone in and eat with that person and day with me the opportunity for change exists open the door the opportunity exists but do you even hear the knock at the door that's the question that i think this church had to wrestle with is do we want to move away from our own self-sufficiency into this place where we're actually reliant upon god and in if we're going to do that what does it mean what has to change? First thing that has to change is to be able to hear the subtle knock of God. Now, there's a bunch of commentaries that, that write on this verse. So if you go out and do your research on Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, and it's all over the board. People think that Jesus is angry with this church, and he's standing out there putting on a riot, like he's pounding on that door. Let me back in. All he has to do is go in. Jesus is always a gentleman throughout Scripture. And he is with us. Even when he flips the tables, that was the nicest thing he could have done for those guys. But there's a sense of where we often want to make Jesus angry when he's not. There's no indication in this passage that he's angry. The indication is, is that He's been left outside his church. How would you feel if you've been left outside your church? You could feel angry. But the other thing, I'm learning that there's a list of, of, of emotions. I'll give you, I think he's hurt. God feels the full range of emotion. That's why we're made in his image. We feel a full range of emotions. And oftentimes in those emotions, we respond in ways that are not appropriate but jesus standing on the outside knocking on the door is saying hey i want to be with you i want to come in and sup with you i want to eat with you and we're back to the table now now we're back to in the story we get back to the table where jesus is saying i want to fellowship with you i want to sit and and around a table that says we're all equals i want to share that with you and in eastern hospitality that is the thing but right now, they're all eating at the table and Jesus is knocking at the door. What's the purpose of the table without Jesus? What's the purpose of the table without Jesus? The purpose of the table without Jesus is uniformity the only way the table works is that everybody agrees everybody gets along because they have of, are of the same mind and so when you gather at a table where everybody is of the same mind there's no need for Jesus at the table 
And so this church had unified around their wealth. They had unified around their lack of need for Jesus. And so they sit around the table and they celebrate some kind of form of, of the Lord's table, but Jesus isn't present. See, the miracle of the table is we can all disagree on things and still sit at the table and love each other in the midst of great challenge. I'm going to blow this thing up. In the midst of great challenge and disagreement with one another, but still love each other because of Jesus. But they didn't need that. Something was broke. And so this verse is an application for us. And I, and I ask, as you sit and you think about this and you dwell on this idea of, of what it means that Jesus knocks at a door of a church and how he could be somehow made irrelevant to that church and how I might, me personally, contribute to that idea. And how that gets to that place is over a period of time. It isn't, it isn't a moment switch where they decided, okay, we don't need Jesus anymore. It was, it was an ongoing process that brought them to the place where they probably found themselves praying less. They found themselves worshiping less. They found themselves excluding people who didn't agree with them. It probably was a church that wasn't very diverse. It was a church that missed the point of the gospel. It missed the point of the table. And they found themselves very uniform in their idea of what it meant to be a church. And what it meant to be a church in the city of Laodicea was, hmm, we can depend on our wealth and we can depend on each other to the point where we're not really even aware of the fact that we've put Jesus out. So it's in the letter. It's a letter of, of invitation to come back. It's a letter to let him back in because only through that contact with Jesus is this place going to be revived. Is it going to change? Is the fire going to start? Is it going to somehow find its way back to true worship rather than complacency? It's an invitation to open change. Verse 18 says this. Jesus is giving them the path. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. It is it's such, such irony. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and sob to put on your eyes so you can see. All the things that they believed were their strengths became their weakness. All the things that they believed made them special, Jesus was saying, it makes you wretched and poor. All the things that they believed in for their faith, he said, goes in direct contradiction what it is to follow me. And they found themselves in this place where somebody had to interject themselves into this and say, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong, Laodicea. Can't you see it? And the answer to the question was, no, we're blind. And we can't hear the knock at the door.
They're invited to buy what they think they don't need. With all their wealth, they're invited to buy what they think they don't need. So where does this take us? Where do we go with this? How do we, where does this go for our hearts? I want to ask you a question. And this is, this is one of the questions that we have to wrestle with as, as I, we live in one of the most affluent counties. Maybe you don't live in this county, but we go to church in this county. I don't live in this county. I used to. <laughs> but as we live in this county, we can, we can see God's blessing on it, but we can also see complacency in it. Need for God is hard to find when affluence is abundance, when there's abundance. And so part of what I, I, I want to ask you is, are you aware of of the blind spots in your life, in your walk with Jesus. Are we aware collectively of our blind spots? Because this is what he's exposing, is that somewhere along the line they became blind to this. What I've tried to do since, um, since COVID is to be more attuned to the fact that God is always speaking. Bear with me for just a second. What I mean by that is, is that he's, he's finding a way to communicate with me through the Bible, through prayer, through thoughts, through other people, through I, I've never heard God speak to me audibly. I wish he would send postcards though. But what I'm saying is is that I just have to tune my ear to hear. I have to adjust my eyes to see. But most of the time I'm so preoccupied with all the things that are going on around me that I, I don't tune my eyes and I don't tune my ears. Now, COVID for me has been, that's been a great teacher for me. Whereas I've learned again how to tune my eyes, adjust my eyes and tune my ears to hear and listen for God. This is the invitation of this. And also my dire need for him. Faith is richer and fuller and deeper when the realization comes over us that there isn't anything we can do through our wealth, through our health, through our works, through any means by which to overcompensate or to find a way to compensate for the work of God. Again, this is about us placing our faith in a being who 
died on a cross, rose from the dead, and we believe in the supernatural idea that his spirit lives in us, his spirit is in this room. And with that comes this unique idea that we can pray to him, he hears us, he's with us all the time, and yet there are weeks and months and years that go by for those of us who claim Christ and we never hear from him. And it isn't that he's not present, and it isn't that he's not talking, it's that we don't hear the knock, and we don't hear the whisper, and we can't see because we're not attuned to what he's doing, or what he's saying, or what he's showing us. I am guilty of that. And that's the repentance piece for this church. The repentance is, I'm going to look, I'm going to see. He's offering them sob. He wants them to tune their eyes. He wants them to be able to see. He wants them to be able to hear. He wants to engage with them in a way that says, oh, we get it, we are dependent on you. Our very wealth comes from you. Our very sense of being comes from you. Our very life comes from you. And with that comes this deep, rich faith that allows us to go, I can lean into that. I can be dependent on that. And it's not weakness that causes me to be dependent. It actually is a great strength that allows for me to say, I am not in and of myself alone the master of my own destiny. Although... I would like to be. So as we go to the table this morning, those of, us who, those of you who are new with us, we have stations around this room. And uh, those stations have communion at them. You can get a COVID cup if you want. There's also bread. You can dip it in, a, in, the, in the wine. Grape juice, grape juice. And the bread is, what is that? Gluten-free, right? See, we're trying. <laughs> ask, ask God to speak so that you can hear. Here's the thing I want you to write down on the paper. We have paper over there. If you would, we want to pray for you to be able to hear and see. And so as you go to the stations, if you would, think about this before you write down, but um, is there something in your life that makes it hard for you to hear from God or see God? Is there something in your life that makes it hard for you to see? The other option is, is, is there something in your life that keeps you from having a deep faith or being dependent on God. Because those are the things he wants you to see. Those are the things that were blocking him from being in this church. It was self-reliance. It was, it was a number of, of just apathy towards Jesus. There's, and, and those are the things that we want to pray for. Those are the spiritual elements. Yeah, if you have prayer requests about... Um, health issues or whatever's going on in your life, we are all about praying for them on Tuesdays, and we will pray for these things as well. But this is more of a spiritual question. It's a, it's a how do I struggle with this walk with God that I can, uh, what is it that is in me that keeps me from really being able to see God, from being able to hear God, from being able to um, 
walk closely with him. If you're like me, you can go days, sometimes weeks, because life is busy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I, you know, my prayers feel like, just fix this. Just fix my life. Just fix it. And he's probably saying something totally different, and I'm not paying attention because I want what I want. So I invite you into that because we're with you. We want to do this with you. And we want to, we want to pray with you and for you. And so as you wrestle with these things, go to the table. You're accepted at the table just as you are. You go to the table, and Jesus is there. So as you take that back to your seat and you, and you have a moment with him, just be reminded that he's the pursuer. He's the one knocking. He's the one that's chasing you down. He's the one that will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one that's around. He's the one that's waiting. But we have to join him there at the table. So come to the table. Enjoy the feast. For the giver of all that is good is amazing. And what he has to offer you is gold refined forever. Something that you can put on your eyes that you'll be able to really see. Not just the things of this world, but really see what is valuable. And you can live a life of abundance without being wealthy. Because some of the poorest people are the people who are wealthy because they cannot see and they cannot hear. And the invitation is to a rich life, a rich life of dependence on the one willing to die for you. What a gift. What a true gift that brings relevance, joy, meaning to all the elements of life, even the suffering. And allow it to be your teacher so that you can see what you couldn't see before. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to say a prayer. Stations are around the room. It's going to be three songs. Jesus, thanks for these few moments that we have in your word. Thank you that we can be reminded that we can turn to other things as our gods. Thank you that we have been blessed so much by you. That we have a place to be, friends around us, a church, a group of people. Lord, may we never escort you out in our passivity. May we never find ourselves in those moments of complete apathy as to what you're doing or not doing. May our faith be rich. May our joy be deep. And may our time around the table be reflective of the truth that we find over and over and over again is that you love us, you invite us, and you eat with us. What a privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.